Hey, welcome to the Danny Abel podcast, where I help you connect the dots between mindset, metabolism, nutrition, and fitness to help you easily understand complex health and wellness concepts. I'm thrilled you're here to listen to what I have to share. So let's dive right in. Hey guys, welcome back. On today's episode, I'm going to be sharing part three of this three-part series, Macros and Movements. And in this episode, we're going to be talking all things camping. Um, If you didn't listen to part one and part two, definitely go back in the feed and listen to those where I covered vacationing and traveling via plane and traveling via road. But today I'm joined by my friend Caitlin, and she is actually in the process of launching her own podcast. So I'm super excited to have her today. And she's going to be sharing her perspectives because she is really more into backwoods camping and the outdoors. And I'm more like the modern RV camper. Now, I still love the outdoors, but I definitely do not have that level of expertise. So in order to make this podcast even better for those of you who are more doing, you know, modern camping versus versus some of the backwoods camping, I thought it would be helpful to have her. So I'm going to turn it over to Caitlin. Hello. Welcome. Tell us a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, So I am also a nutrition and fitness coach. I just happen to specialize in getting people ready for the outdoors in backpacking, hiking, skiing, kind of anything. Um, But I also will dabble in helping people plan for backpacking trips, um, making sure they have the right gear and everything. Um, So I'm a nutrition coach, soon to be a nutritional therapy practitioner in about a month. Um, And yeah, I think I was trying to think about it. My first backpacking trip was either when I was four or five. And so little me with my backpack on and really it turned into my parents carrying everything and me just like romping through the woods. Um, but I was born in the Sierra Nevada mountains, just around Tahoe on the Nevada side. Um, I was a collegiate soccer player. And then once I got my EMT license in college, um, became a ski patroller and really like fell back in love with the mountains and realized that my life was better spent being in outdoor sports and then just kind of combining my love of the gym, love of the outdoors, and then realizing that you can do it all. Um, and then, yeah, I specialized pretty much in, I, I found that it was a really like male dominated niche. And so my entire goal with this is to allow women and minorities to have the ability to like flourish in this predominantly male space, um, and show them that they can do anything they want alone or in groups. But yeah, so that's me. I love that so much. And honestly, Caitlin and I have known each other about, gosh, maybe almost two years, like definitely more than a year and a half. And I did I did not know all of those details. Like I knew where you were from and I knew you kind of had a background in sports. Um, it's funny because just actually something that you, you talked about a minute ago when you were talking about like getting women and minorities like more you know, feeling more comfortable with some of these like more male dominated sports or like activities. I can personally attest to that because growing up, I was constantly fishing with my dad. When I met my husband now, like he was really into hunting. And back then, like where we used to live in Illinois, like no women were into hunting. And it was like, it was extremely awkward for me to go somewhere in camo. Like I always got these weird looks 
And I was actually, um, I haven't talked about this on the podcast. Maybe I'll have to have an episode about this. But in college, I was actually um, featured in a women's hunting article in Field and Stream magazine. So I always say that that was like my claim to fame. (laughs) Um, But I I love what you're doing because a lot of women are, are afraid to kind of go out there by themselves. It's like, you know, we aren't really like equipped for that or like maybe we're not educated enough or we don't feel confident or comfortable doing it, but it can freaking be done. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's kind of like, you know, Caitlin and I both like to lift heavy, like we're both into powerlifting and we really flourish helping women get comfortable with lifting and get comfortable with, you know, gaining muscle and building strength. And all of that. And it's kind of like that age old adage that like, you know, women shouldn't just be on the treadmills. Like they need to be lifting the weights too. Absolutely. So if you listen to part one and part two, kind of a frame that I used to be able to kind of unpack the information that I wanted to share with you is really just around the concepts of really a lot of it goes into planning ahead, tons and tons of planning ahead. And the way that I like to do that is I kind of like to look at these different aspects, primarily when it comes to like food and moving your body. And it's going to be like, what part of my normal routine, if you do have a really good routine in place right now, like what can I recreate? What am I going to have to adjust just knowing that I am going to be outside of my normal routine or like outside of my home or possibly even outside of my, you know, local community or even state? Um, And then also talking about there might be some things that you want to plan ahead for and bring or buy to bring in order to have it with you that you maybe don't necessarily always use at home. Um, And then we kind of talk about like just general things that are absolutely always with us from a bringing perspective, things that we'll maybe buy if we are traveling and have access to some things, you know, whether it be like on your way to your location or even when you're there, if you do have access to that kind of a thing. Obviously, like if you're in the backwoods, you're not going to be able to go to the store, but you know what I mean? Um, And then things that you're just going to have to modify and realize that like, this is a short-term trip. It's not going to affect your progress. It's not a big deal. And a lot of it goes into like having that mindset around, you know, being able to enjoy yourself, but then also prioritizing things that are important when it comes to making sure that you're fueling your body and moving it as well. So when we talk about nutrition, um, Caitlin and I are going to kind of tag team, you know, each of our own perspectives here. Um, You know, my perspective is going to be I'm doing like a family camping thing. And she is really she doesn't have access to the things that I'm going to normally have access to. And this is something that I'm actually really interested in learning from her because I've never done that before. And I feel like if I ever were to go and do that, like I'm definitely going to be reaching out to Caitlin because the things that I normally am used to having, it's just like, like water. Like, I hope you talk about water in this episode because I talk about it a lot. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, like I used to work at, um, for those of you who like know me, know me, I used to work at Gander Mountain. And, um, that's where my husband and I actually met and I used to work in the camping section and like the really hardcore elite athletes would come in and they'd be like, which one of the water filtrations are the best? And I was always like, uh, (laughs) I don't know, you know, because I just didn't have the personal experience. So anyway, all right. So let's start it under the frame of kind of like recreating. So something that I personally like to do is I like to make sure that I'm having meals 
um, to keep me full. And I will say that when you're traveling and things like that, just based upon like what you have access to, you may have to like default to like more snacky type things. But the reason why I always talk about this, and this is just in like day-to-day life too, is that I feel like a lot of women in particular, they really don't understand the value from a caloric density perspective of the food that they're eating. So like they think they're eating a lot, but they're actually not like quantitatively eating enough. And so I'm interested to hear what you have to say as far as, you know, when you're out, when you're in the backwoods and you're camping and you're out on your own, like how do you stay fueled? How do you make sure that you're eating enough food in order to feel good and also make sure that you are, you're having enough calories coming in to fuel all of the activity um, that your body is going to be partaking in? Yeah. So that's the most important and why I like to work with people before they go on their trips, because we get to know each other. I get to see how they perform on, you know, I'll send them on two to five to 10 mile hikes and have them bring enough food accordingly, but then have them really think about like, okay, if you were to get stuck, would you be fine? And if it's not, they need to bring more food, but there's a really good, I'll have you link it for people. Um, Outside Magazine has a really good equation to figure out your caloric needs. And I don't think they break it down into macros, but like, that's what I'm here for. Um, Calories are the most important because that's what keeps you alive. But it takes into account the elevation, how much your pack weighs, how much you weigh. Um, And they're like the distance and one other thing. And it takes into account all of these factors. And then it gives you this number. Um, I was just at a recent REI. It was like an introductory women's backpacking seminar. And I have done this before. So really, I was trying to make friends, um, which is a great way to do that. I love it. Networking is where it's at. That is where it's yeah. at. As an entrepreneur, networking is it. Yeah. And I, I'm not newer to Bozeman, but it is nice. Like, oh, I want to get... I want to find more friends who do this, especially as my partner is broken with knee problems. Um, Broken. (laughs) And yeah, well, and it was great because I was so surprised to see the amount of women who were probably over 50. Wow. I was one of the youngest ones and almost 30. And there were, I don't know, eight people there and over half of them were probably over 50 and just looking to go on their first trip. And it was so cool. Um, Just proof that you can literally do anything whenever you want. Yeah. But one of them, one of the instructors of it said that you should at least be eating 3,800 calories. And I think she did an educated guess on that. And I would probably need more than that just because I eat 3,000 a day already. Um, But really, it's a lot of trial and error. And so going on those hikes, putting yourself in scenarios where you're going to be in town at night to help yourself if you need. Um, But also you're at home where you can say, oh, no, I messed up. I didn't bring enough food with me. And then you can write down what you did and then how to learn from it. And so these first couple trips that you take on longer hikes or getting yourself out are just trial and error. And learning from those mistakes, talking with your coach about how to increase those calories or just like make your snacks smarter. Um, Because a lot of people just go into REI and buy 
all the bars that they can without mm-hmm. really understanding what that label says. Yeah. Or buying like all the mountain houses. And that's a whole other animal. Its own, <laughs> animal house, like I can't eat animal house or uh, mountain house. Um, and it just destroys my stomach. If, for, for any listeners, if you don't know what Mountain House is, it's kind of like prepackaged food. It's kind of like MREs, meals ready to eat. And you just like some of them, you, you know, mix up, warm up, um, that kind of thing. It's it's not the greatest thing, but like, you know, I mean, it's it's it food, works. but but a lot of people just they don't really understand the like the 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 caloric value of food overall. So I can definitely see where the the clients that you work with would potentially have a a gap in knowledge there. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people who are in the backpacking world think like, oh, I can just eat whatever, which is to some extent true. All of my clients can eat kind of whatever. Um, But you get into these situations where you can burn all the carbs that you want, and that's primarily what people bring, but then they're lacking on the proteins and fats. And then companies like Mountain House and not to talk crap on them. I just don't personally like them. Um, they add in a lot of fillers. And so there's a, I, you don't have regular bowel movements when you eat their food. <laughs> um, I have some great recommendations, which I'll probably talk about a little bit later. Perfect. Um, that are, since we deal with a lot of special cases of allergies and things like that. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I think that's like another one too. I mean, this like overall, I've talked about this on the other two episodes for traveling, but let alone, like even when I'm just traveling and I have access to like, you know, we'll just call it like regular food, my digestion always gets messed up when I'm traveling. Like, so I could see where it would get, you know, even more, get to be even more of an issue when you aren't necessarily having the like regular foods, you know, that you're used to eating on a daily basis. All right. So I think like a a main theme there for both of us, as far as like, what can we recreate is just understanding like how much food do I need on a daily basis? And when we say how much, like primarily what we're talking about is approximate caloric need. It doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, like we're not going on these trips to be like perfectly nailing our macro targets and calorie targets. It's like, you know, how do we come close and then it's also looking at it <clears throat> from the three main macronutrients and just recognizing that you do need to have, you know, a, a good variety of those. And, you know, if you're looking for support and help with, you know, what that should look like, if you are working on um, getting more into some of those trips and from an endurance perspective, then definitely reach out to Caitlin um, and she could help you with that. So let's talk about adjustments, Um, things that we know that we are going to have to adjust that maybe we're still eating those like types of foods, if you will, but we might just have to adjust maybe the the way that they're packaged or the way that we're eating them. Um, A good example for me is that a lot of times kind of going back to that digestion conversation, part of my problem when I'm traveling is that I get very bloated. Like it's just just how it is. I just get bloated and I really have a hard time going to the bathroom. So the fruits that I normally eat, like when I'm in my normal space, I'm at home, you know, I'm eating like more like fresh fruits or even like frozen fruits and veggies and stuff, but like the water content, the water content is there and that helps with digestion. But sometimes you you can't pack those things. You know, you can't necessarily pack like a bag of, I always give the watermelon example. It's like, 
you could put it in a baggie, but like, it's not going to be ideal. So oftentimes like I'll kind of switch over to some dried options, but then that kind of further exacerbates the digestion issue because the water content isn't there. So I have to be really mindful about kind of what I'm, what I'm drinking as well. So another example is really just along the lines of hydration. Um, you know, on a daily basis, I'm trying to get, you know, say three to four, like 25 to 30 ounce containers of water. But what I find is that when I'm traveling and you're out and you're doing these things, you're oftentimes like distracted, you know, like there's these beautiful sights to see, or these, there's these places that you want to go. And let's just be honest, like hydration isn't top of mind, you know? So what I try to do is I try to just wherever I'm going, like I have some kind of a water bottle with me. And it sounds like um, that's something that, you know, we kind of hit on earlier. And I'd love to hear kind of how do you help people manage that for themselves when they don't have access to like your traditional, you know, fresh water sources? You find other fresh water sources or water caches, but you and I, like I live in Montana, you live in Minnesota. And so we have streams and lakes and things. So I might not talk about water caches so much. That's more desert, Arizona, California. Um, But it's having a good filter um, and knowing kind of what to look for in running water, uh, making sure that you're not near like any kind of salt water source. And also like just looking around if there's fresh vegetation Um, usually that's a really good sign that it is a healthy source of water. Um, If it is running faster, that's also a really good thing to look for. And these are streams, like um, up in the boundary waters, you know, we filtered our own water because the water is so nice up there and it doesn't have a lot of crap in it. Um, (laughs) Unlike here, um, I've gone on a couple overnights and backpacking canoe trips um, on the Missouri and the Missouri is very, very dirty with cattle and pollution from those crops running into the river. Hmm. And so you could filter it a few times and then put iodine tablets in it if you had to. But in those cases, we're in a canoe, we're in a boat. So it's a little bit different kind of backcountry. You're not carrying it on your back, but you're putting it in a boat and floating it down a river. Um, so in that case, we take water with us from home. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. But in those camping scenarios, it's having a good filter. MSR um, makes a really good hand pump one. Um, if you have been looking at any, like the PCT is always a interesting place to find information because that's more on the ultralight camping. What's PCT? Um, the Pacific Crest Trail. Is that so? That's like it's, an actual trail trail. Yeah, it's 2,000 plus miles from the Mexico border to Canada. Oh, oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And so through hikers, which are pretty much ultralight backpackers, they are just hiking for four to five months at a time. They want a little bit lighter and more efficient way to filter water just because they do not carry water with them. They Got get it. it from sources along the way. Um, so there are good ones that you can attach to your water bottles where you kind of open up the filter, scoop out water, and then you can see what I'm doing, but like roll it down as it squishes into your water bottle. Yeah. Okay. Um, There are great ones there. Those break a little bit easier. So I like the hand pump ones. MSR makes really good things for 
all backpacking needs. Um, I remember the little MSR stoves, like the the little yeah. little single cooker stoves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those are great. They take a long time to heat up, and I'll actually talk about those too, um, probably Perfect. in the later sections. Um, and then I like to stick to, on the same hydration kind of electrolyte side, um, LMNT, element packets um, are easy to carry. They don't take up much space, and they have a great electrolyte profile. Um, so I like having those towards the end of the day. Uh, and throughout the day if I can, um, but sometimes it just doesn't, salt doesn't taste good when I'm super thirsty. Yeah. Um, so I wait till later once I've had regular water, then I'll add it just for that electrolyte, um, just to balance out the salt that I'm probably not getting from my foods as much as I'm used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that'll help with cramps, fatigue, everything else throughout the day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I wouldn't have even thought about that. Like, I would have just been chugging water and not doing well. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you said, you do get distracted, and that's when people, some people like bringing camelbacks with um, the bladder and hose. Um, I prefer to keep track of water bottles, and so I just carry Nalgene's with me and then refill as I need, just because you can it's the same as I tell my clients when they're just sitting at home, like drink through a straw because you can drink so much more without having to tip your head back and chug. Um, Similar things will happen on trail where you're just sipping on your bladder and all of a sudden you're out of water and the next station's not for a while. And that's where you can run into trouble. So going from a water bottle is a little bit safer. I like that. Yeah. I mean, that's like, like, these are little nuggets. Like I'm telling you guys, like, these are little (laughs) nuggets that like you, you literally like, you can't just like pick them up. Like you have to actually talk to a real person who has experienced this, who has had trial and error, who's failed on things, figured out how to fix it. And like, these are the gems. Yeah. You fail a lot and you learn a lot. So true. They're so true. And you were saying something earlier too about like just like things that you've tried, trial and error. And I was actually just talking with we have a, a mutual friend who who we had met kind of a couple of years ago. And I was just talking to him and he, and he was talking about like, you know, in general, those of us who are in the entrepreneur space and, you know, are trying to meet the needs of, you know, where we see that we have a there's a gap out in the space. And we think that, you know, this, this particular, you know, maybe it's this particular service or this particular offer might do really well. But really what you come to realize is that really just like talking with people, the people will tell you what they need. And then it's just a matter of being able to kind of adjust, you know, what you do. And I love that kind of about Caitlin's story, because like what she realized, you know, as she's been going through this and has, as we're all kind of developing ourselves as coaches is that like, who do we really feel like we can serve and like what area or expertise do we feel like we have, we have to offer. Yeah. All right. As far as buying to bring. So a lot of times for me, I kind of look at my day. I look at things that I'm normally eating that might not be feasible for me to pack. I mean, like in general, I'm not going to like pack a two pound tub of protein powder. I kind of have those in the house as like just in cases, or if I'm like falling behind on my protein for the day. So a lot of times what I will do is I will figure out things 
that I can buy in like either single serving packets or individual packets. Um, and it could be things like a protein powder. It could be like electrolyte mixes, like Caitlin was talking about. I mean, I honestly even buy like the little single servings of like peanut butter and almond butter because they're really easy to pack and they're they're just they're really great as great fat sources. And a lot of times, like I feel like it's really hard to find like just fats if you're lacking in fats. Um, those are really helpful. So yeah, what what are your thoughts on this? Yeah. So this is where I'll talk a little bit about like what foods I like to bring and prep. Um, so every single thing that you need food wise or cooking wise can be purchased from Amazon, REI, your local outdoor store. Um, and so food wise, um, this is where like, I really like the company Wild Zora. This is, they're all grain free. So they're a little bit lighter on calories they're still in the four to five hundred or four to five hundred dollar four to five hundred calorie range um but they are mainly quinoa couscous um and then their ingredients are pretty much all single identifying foods just dehydrated and this is where you want to see like how long are you going how long like how much do you want to carry and then you also have to think about the weight of your pack and then how much prep do you want to do? Because I know some people who will dehydrate every single meal that they want to cook. They have the time for that. That's awesome. That is so unrealistic to most people. Yeah, um, that seems a little overwhelming. So this is, yeah, this is where like I will pre-packet or pre-assimilate um, oats with dehydrated berries, chia seeds, things to make them more micronutrient dense. And then also add those nut butters once they're cooked. Smart. I love because that. Because those are all really light. Um, and then you get all three sources there. Sometimes I'll carry protein powder with me, but that's really kind of an emergency thing. Like if I find I need it at the end of the day, um, just to get a little bit more protein in or a little bit more food, um, I'll use pretty much just like a, it's a carb and protein mix just because you can't really eat too much when you're out there. Yeah, um, definitely. How do you like, yeah, along those, those are the things. I was just going to ask you along those same lines. Um, how do you like to coach your clients or like even just for yourself, as far as like keeping track of about how much that they're eating? Like, do you do it by like approximate serving sizes or like, how do you like to just make sure that they are eating enough? This will be more calorie based. Um, a lot of what they're bringing is going to be prepackaged. Even if they take apart the packaging and put it in other things themselves, they can write out. I, I typically, this is when I revert back to just protein and calories mm -hmm. because every single thing is going to have carbs. Um, all snack things are pretty easy to accumulate carbs, but those calories are where I want people to make sure that they're getting enough food. And then protein is always good just to make sure that we're not like, deteriorating while we're out there. Mm -hmm. And so making sure that they're hitting that calorie number, they take a typical day. So they'll get their packages of breakfast, snacks, lunches, dinners, write it all down, see if it's close to that number or just scan it into my fitness pal or whatever they're using. And then see if it comes close, see what needs to be added snack wise and kind of go from there. I like that. 
I like that. And it sounds like you're just kind of having them do that ahead of time. And then once they kind of have that general frame, if you will, then that's just, that's just what they roll with. There's like, there's no changes what you're out there and be like, well, I guess I don't want to have that for breakfast today. <laughs> the only time where it can change is if we know that it's going to be like this week is weird here in Montana. Today, it's supposed to be 100 and then it gets down into the 70s. What? So it's that's so yeah, weird. Thing. <laughs> so um, weird. But so if you were out from yesterday, today, let's just say Tuesday to Friday. And so you have that really big spike of heat on that third day. Usually with more heat comes you're losing more water. You're probably going to eat a little bit more throughout the day just because you're burning more calories. Um, so on that day, if you had to, I would take some of the calories from the um, cooler day and add it. I would say like two to 300 calories, like a bar can come into that day, a like smaller meal can come into that day. Um, but that's just, that's knowing how to account for the weather, how to just kind of make those rules as you go. Mm-hmm. Ideally, you're eating the same thing every day. So you don't have any major crashes. You're not. Yeah, there are no changes in digestion. Um, everything else moves very s- smoothly. Um, and then making those adjustments as needed, either for really hot or really cold. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes even just kind of like listening to your body, like if you know you need more food and you're more hungry, like you, you just got to eat. So there's one thing that if you're in the outdoor space and you are running out of food and water, you finish your water because you don't want to be dehydrated. So you say you have like half of an algae left and a lot of people will think like, oh, well, I'll just like drink a little bit at a time and save it. That's actually the opposite of what you want to do. So you want to drink all your water at once because dehydration will kill you faster than starvation. So you want to make sure that you're hydrated and you'll actually do the opposite with food. You will make your food last a long time. Longer and longer. This is when like you're stuck somewhere and say you're on a trip, you miscalculated your food, you're out in the middle of nowhere, like every single thing has gone wrong. This is when this scenario is coming into place. Um, on your typical four day backpacking trip or something like that, that is when you can make those tiny adjustments. But yeah, in emergency situations, drink your water, make your food last. I love it. You just saved somebody's life. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) For me, um, what happens sometimes, like when I'm talking with clients, if like they're going you know, maybe they aren't necessarily uh, camping, but like maybe they're going to like a lake house or, you know, a cabin or something like that where like, you know, probably groceries are not that unheard of. Like you can probably restock fairly easily, but a lot of times what I'll hear is be like, well, I I was afraid I was going to go over my calories for the day. And I'd be like, you know, in the big picture, like just eat the food. But no, I hear what, I totally hear what you're saying. And I think that's a really important piece is because like, you know, the day-to-day things that we normally do kind of need to change when food is not so readily available. And that comes a lot into mindset. And I feel like the two scenarios we are talking about are very different. They have similarities. And especially as we kind of move on, the similarities become more and more. 
Um, but when it comes down to it, if you're in a campground, it might be a while before you get back to a general store or grocery, but you could do it that day. Whereas if I am 40 miles in the back country, I might be a hunter and can do that, but <laughs> pro- like me, no, <laughs> this is why I want to learn how to fish, but no. Well, oh my gosh. I'm so glad we're talking about this. Cause I can definitely help you with that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. All right. So as far as things that, um, we both kind of like to bring, so I always kind of look at things that are like very easily packable. Um, and in general, this kind of goes along the lines of the higher calorie, lower volume kind of idea. And, and this also does kind of go along with the digestion thing that we were talking about before is that just being mindful of the caloric value of the food in comparison to the volume of the food. Like, I don't know about you, but like when I'm talking with clients and teaching them like the different values of food, like from a qualitative perspective, meaning like they're getting micronutrient dense foods, you know, they're eating high fiber when they can, that kind of a thing. But then they're also eating enough, like eating enough to fuel brain function, body function, and their activity. Oftentimes they'll kind of get into this mindset of, well, I'm choosing all these healthy foods. You know, I've got fruits, I've got veggies, I've got some almonds, I've got things like that. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. Those meet the needs of your fiber goal and a little bit of your fat goal, but like, where's the protein? Where are the simple carbs? You need those too. And so when I'm looking at things that I want to make sure that I'm bringing is kind of just always going back to, if you can, if at all possible, that balance plate concept, you know, you've got proteins coming in, Hopefully you have some fibers of some kind, but just knowing that when you're traveling, digestion might be an issue. So maybe while you're traveling, you're not really focusing as much on getting, you know, high micronutrient fiber dense foods. And you're literally just making sure that you've got enough carbs coming in and enough fats. And overall, those three are going to add up hopefully to a calorie level that's going to allow you to feel really good while you're traveling. Yeah, absolutely. Mine's pretty similar. Um, I take that balance plate model and pretty much just add a serving of each to it. And, you know, easily packable things. Um, one thing that's nice is when you're bringing all your food that's either dehydrated or repa- or packaged, you those are pretty cumbersome. And so you can take those out and repackage them into really nice little meals or bags for the day that you just throw on the top of your pack. But they're all the same things. Um, You know, when you're backpacking and having to poop in holes in the ground, like it's a little different. You want to make sure that like your digestion is going to be happy. Otherwise that's going to be a hell of a time for you. Mm -hmm. Um, So making sure that those food choices, one, like try out those food choices before you eat them. Just because it's a backcountry meal doesn't mean you can't try it out at home first. And (laughs) I I highly recommend doing that (laughs) because they're like, you have to find what you like. Um, A lot of those are filled, not necessarily with preservatives, but things to make them taste better. When in reality, I don't think that they make them taste better. (laughs) Um, So making sure it doesn't hurt your stomach. Um, choosing some of those foods that are, I always bring up oatmeal because that is my go-to all the time. I could eat it every single day and it would not, 
Same. me. Um, so I know that that's something that will make me feel good, almost be a comfort food as well, um, especially when it's cold or hot. It's just oatmeal's great. Um, it is. It's like an all-around. Yeah, that's. It is. It's just an all-around perfect thing. <laughs> a question that I have for you is um, when you're when you're on your trips, do you try to have like normal meal times or do you kind of just try to fit food in when you can? Or I'm guessing it's kind of one of those gray areas where like, depending upon what you're doing or where you're at, um, you know, how do you kind of like to structure that? It depends on who you are. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it matters how many calories you get. I like to have pretty much our breakfast and dinner at normal ish times. Um, Usually I'm on an earlier time schedule when I'm backpacking. And so it'll be, you know, like 6 a.m., 5.30, wake up, pretty much wake up with the sun. Um, Yeah. And then getting into bed, like almost before the sun goes down. Just because woods are creepy at night. Yeah. And you want to be able to see everything as you're packing up. You know, if you're in bear country, putting your bear bag or canister up. Um, You want to be able to see what's around you. And then your imagination doesn't run too far away yeah. from you. <laughs> I can um, see that. <laughs> but, yeah. And then I am one of those people that I snack along the way. And that's kind of how I just live my life anyway. Um, snacks are the best. <laughs> and I love so it. I will have my breakfast. If I am planning on a lunch, like river trips are different because you're sitting in a boat so you can take a rest and just like let the river take you away. Um on backpacking trips, you know, if in the Sierra, there are tons of high alpine lakes. And so those are great places to stop and have lunch. But if you're just hiking, it is hard to like, oh, it's noon, I'm going to stop. And it's like, well, we're like a mile and a half from the top. Like, are we really going to stop now? We're just going to keep going. Yeah. So one thing I like to do for lunch, depending on what I'm making, um, a lot of those meals that I've been talking about are um, dehydrated. So all they need is water. Doesn't matter if it's warm or hot. If it does, I suggest putting hot water in whatever food container you have and then pouring that in right after breakfast. So your lunch is cooking and ready to be eaten. Nice. Um, Same thing can go for if it's a cold one too. You just pour it in however long it says on the packaging before you're going to eat. So usually like, oh, I'm going to stop, grab my water out take a drink. Oh, cool. It's 1030. I want to eat around noon. I'm just going to pour that water in, seal it up, put it in my pack again and carry on. Then it's ready to go. And so I don't have to stop again and mess about with it before I eat. I can just like, cool, open, eat, and then get back on trail. It just goes back to the fact of like planning ahead and thinking ahead for like, what's the next thing that I know I'm going to have to do or that's going to come mm-hmm. along the lines, you know, like just being prepared, like before you get super hungry. Mm-hmm. And that's where in backpacking and pretty much every hiking pack I've ever had, there are those big pockets on the sides and those are snack pockets and trash pockets. I love it. And so you have all your snacks in one, empty it, put it in the other one. Yeah. And- Cause then you always know, like on the left is my snacks and on the right is my trash mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Yep. And then you don't have to open the trash one until you have more and it just stays in there and no risk of falling out and littering. Um, Perfect. But yeah, that's, I am a very much snack as you go. And 
also it's nice just to have those at the ready just so like I'm feeling like maybe a little lightheaded but not really like I'm just gonna have some sugar real quick and in the form of gummy bears, gummy bears yeah caffeine packs or gummy bears are my go-to because they have the little packages already and yeah perfect and then what about things so like I, I kind of I'll talk about this too from from our perspective but <clears throat> so when we go um, our camping trip is like a it's like a family trip with like my family and then my mom and dad and my sister and her husband. And what we do is because there is like a great deal of us that we're feeding, what we'll do is each family will kind of like take like a couple nights of dinners. And then each family is like responsible to get all of the things for the dinners. And that really helps to like just spread out the load overall. You're not having to cook every single night. And especially, I mean, we do have like little kitchen campers and stuff, but like, it's nothing like your normal camper. We sure the hell don't have a dishwasher or anything like that. So, you know, with like 10 mouths to feed, it's like a lot of dishes and stuff that you got to use to cook the food and all that. So it really does help, help out for everybody. And then usually what we do is just the, the family who is not in charge of the meal for the night, um, they're in charge of cleaning up and, that makes it a little bit easier too. So tell me about kind of what you like to make sure that you are buying or um, having with you when it comes to food. You talked earlier about like a bear bag, um, a food container, canister, that kind of a thing. How do you like to set that up? So I cook for myself and maybe my boyfriend. Um, But besides that, like on trail and in the backcountry, people pretty much take care of themselves. Um, just cause you have to carry in what you eat. And so I, it depends if we're going a faster, usually this is more of an overnight thing for us or two days. I have what's called a jet boil. So it's a single canister where the bottom part is a fuel canister. Top part is varying liters in size. Uh, Mine's pretty big, like a bowl. And I did that on purpose because I can cook anything I want in it for myself. And so I have this one thing and that is it. Um, If you are talking to someone who is a little bit more on the traditionalist side and wanting to not quite use like cast iron, but has that capability, um, people use what are called whisper lights which are also from MSR, but those take a long time. Then you also have to have, that is just the cooking apparatus, um, the fuel canister, and then you also have to have your pot, pan, and then it just adds on more and more things. So on river trips, we'll take that because we're not carrying it on our backs. Um, There are several other types of cooking things, but those are the two that I use the most. I've also used their, I don't know the actual name, but we call them pocket rockets. Um, they sl- uh, they screw directly onto the fuel canister and they are faster than a whisper light, but not as fast as jet boil. So they're somewhere in between in cooking um, time. Uh-huh. But that still makes you carry a pot, a pan, mm. something to cook with. Whereas the jet boil is you have your spoon, it is there, you eat you rinse it with water and drink that water, uh-huh. which is 
my least favorite part about any kind of camping ever. <laughs> it's like um, food laden water. It's gross. <laughs> Oatmeal I mean, is the least gross one. I mean, it um, makes sense. Like if you've got the water, you sure as hell better drink it. You're going to drink it and... Yeah, it's not my favorite. And if you don't want to drink it, like it took me a while to get comfortable drinking it just because it's, if you've worked in kitchens, it's very similar <laughs> to what is like left at the bottom of the drain. Um, but just make sure that either you're throwing dying. it in a, in a built-in fireplace or you are like scattering it and making sure that you're getting like just like a dessert plate, you're getting every single little piece out. So really all you're throwing is water and mixed with spices. Yeah. Trying not to waste any food. Um, if there's any food left over, keeping it. This reminds me of just last night, actually, um, we were cleaning up supper dishes and Tim had like a clear glass cup that he was drinking out of and Nick brought the cup over and he's like you want a drink and it was like all these floaters in there from from his dinner and I was like yuck throw that away (laughs) just from his backwash just from his backwash (laughs) yeah oh kids are great (laughs) so gross yeah no it's it's kind of exactly like that so that's why it takes a bit to get used to I was gonna say I could see where you would be like you know, eventually you just don't really care anymore. But like, I could see, you know, somebody in the beginning being like, what? You want me to drink that? Yeah. Like I said, oatmeal and sweet things aren't as bad. Easy. Yeah. Um, But there we make um, like chicken peanut butter ramen. And that is <laughs> it's a little no. weird. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> but I do it because I don't want like a fed bear is a dead bear. Um. And so speaking of bears, bear canisters and bear bags, um, fun fact, they're all tested by bears. Oh, um, <laughs> I can just see this lab. I can just see the lab right now. <laughs> Here, throw yep. it to the bear. Yep. And so they have been tested. Um, the bags are made out of Kevlar and it goes down to personal preference or where you're camping. And so some places make you have bear canisters, some Places just say, like, have bear, not bear protection, but bear, um, like bear containers of some sort. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. gotcha. And then making sure that you're tying it appropriately in the tree far enough away out from the tree that the bear can't get it and far enough off the ground. Got it. It's like 12 by 12 feet or something like that. It's a lot. So this is maybe like a dumb question, but can't bears just climb the tree and grab it? They can, but... Yeah. They just won't. Like they're yes, not motivated. They can, but that's also why it's hanging down. Oh, got it. And it's out. Just, it would be so much harder to grab it. Got it. Um, and ideally, you're hanging it out to where, you know, if they were going to go get it, they would break off the branch. Sure. And they, it would cause them more problems than it would you. Gotcha. Um, and then making sure that is far away from where you're camping if you are in bear country. <laughs> it's not like right above your I tent. So it's a thing that we think about a lot. <laughs> it's like not right above your tent and that you're, you know, sleeping overnight. No, and... there's legally, I can't remember the exact distance, but there is like a legal distance away from your campsite. That makes sense. I mean, for safety purposes. And so it's like the next tree. Yeah, yeah for sure. No Let's talk about like, just by grizzly. <laughs> we don't have grizzlies here in Minnesota, but we definitely have black bears. 
And those things scare the heck out of me. So like I give you so much props or so many props for grizzlies because we don't have those here. And I know they're just like so much more, you know, treacherous, if you will. Black bears. So I used to re rehibernate bear cubs when oh I was gosh. younger. So my parents owned a cross-country ski area and we lived down in the valley in Carson and bears would go into town. And this is why I say a fed bear is a dead bear because mm-hmm. most of the bears that we, we re um, hibernated um, ended up getting killed. Yeah. Yeah. But go into town, wander into garbage cans. They're then caught, brought back up. But since we had all the snowmobiles and everything to get the bears back into a spot that was safe for them, we would dig pits, put in like those igloo dog houses, yeah. pull the bear cub into it that was fully sedated, leave berries and seeds and nuts that are local to the area around it, and then bury it with snow. That's crazy. Yeah. That is so it's a cool. Fun little, fun little thing I got to do as a kid. Oh my gosh, I love it! I love it. Let's talk about let's talk about like just in general. We've really just talked about like all of these ways that we can modify all of those things uh, when it comes to your food. But you know, something that I just I like to talk about, and I talked about this in like part one, and I talked about it in part two, is that like in general we're talking about like a, a time frame. You know, it's, it's, there's a start time, there's an end time. And, you know, if, if people are anything, if, if any of you guys who are listening to this are, if you're anything like me and probably to a certain extent, I would have to assume that Caitlin, you probably also kind of possess, possess this quality is that I think those of us who have a very well established routines and habits, we, we can almost sometimes fall into that, like all or nothing mindset And it's like, well, if I'm out of my routine, then like, why would I do any of my routine? Or like, why does any of my routine matter? And it's not that you have to do everything either perfectly or not at all. It's, it's recognizing and changing your mindset around the fact that like, I'm going on this trip or I'm going to be at this event, or I want to do this for myself because you know, there's either a personal benefit, there's maybe an emotional benefit, there's a social benefit. And it doesn't mean that you have to completely fall off track. Or if you aren't able to do the things that you normally do, that you're not going to be able to make progress. So what are your thoughts on this? And kind of how do you like to coach people through that, that mindset? It takes a lot of time. But I my clients who are doing this specifically are in a different mindset. Usually a lot of them are more performance-based. They want to be doing these things. That's why they hired me. Um, And so it's less about really it's on the other side of getting like back into your routine. Mm. Cause while you're on trail, it is hard to like, you're not eating normal foods. You can't, otherwise you will not be eating enough. And so I almost have the opposite thing. Like you have to eat these things in order to survive and to thrive out in the wilderness. And then once you get back, it'll go back to normal amounts. We'll go back to our regular training schedules and things like that. But there's, it's just a difference in mindset. And I think in the, just the personality in general. Because this is their goal. This is what they are working towards. They want to be out there. Um, 
and all the other things kind of come secondary. I could see that. Well, it's almost like it's almost like recognizing like the particular tool or like the focus that you have for a given time is for a certain purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like dieting. It's like when you're dieting, <clears throat> you're going to pick foods that are more volumetrically dense, less calorically dense, because you don't have that much to work with. And <laughs> you want to make sure that you can feel physically full. Mm-hmm. But, but it's like, if you do that all the time, that's not going to work either. You know, like if you've got, if you're at maintenance or if you're bulking, you got a lot of food to eat. And it's like, if you're always picking like the giant salad or things that are very volumetrically dense, like you literally will never meet that calorie goal. And then you're not actually meeting that, that uh, nutrition goal or like the phase of your nutrition that you're in. So it's like figuring out like, what am I doing now? What's the purpose of it? And like, how long is it going to be? When's the start and the stop? date? And then what am I going to do afterward? Like what's my post trail plan or like my post diet plan or whatever your post plan is and figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Like, I think people just kind of forget about that. They're like, Oh, the thing is over. And then they kind of just like do what they normally have always done. And then that's kind of where they get led astray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's a lot of just checking in with them afterwards. Cause post trail depression in quotes, depression, um, is a real thing because you're on the trail, no matter how much time, it's just a special experience where you do have a little bit of freedom. And I know we're going to dabble into stress later, but it's the place where you don't have to be stressed. You just have to get up and keep hiking the next day. And it's so simple. And so it is really nice that that is almost the break before the training goes back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. When it comes to, when it comes to like arrival and things like that, like anything that, I mean, I would say like the main thing that I like to tell people is just like figuring out like, you know, what's going to be your first meal? Are you going to have to buy it? Are you going to have it with you? Is there anything that you need to prep for it? Um, It really just goes back to that, like planning ahead and having a strategy for that because at least in my experience, people will just kind of like, they'll get in their car or they'll start heading down the road or they'll start, you know, going wherever they're going to go. And then they kind of get stuck and they're like, oh, well, they're, they're, you know, X, Y, Z wasn't available. So I just didn't eat. And it's like, well, okay, hold on. You know, when we reflect back on that, like, how could we do that differently next time? Yeah. These are instances where I usually have people or myself. It's like, this is when I'll make wraps or something that I know is not going to go bad in the time that it's in my pack to the first X amount of miles that I have on trail. And usually, kind of like you said, you're starting a little bit later in the day. Um, I do know people who get to a trailhead, sleep in their car, and then start at the butt crack of dawn before they go up. Sure. That's a little different. But in the same instance, like you just pack for that night and you have wraps. my boyfriend likes to order pizza the night before, and then we have that. Nice. Um, just something simple, something super easy. Not necessarily anything that, you know, dirties any of your equipment. Yeah. But you could also make one of those meals and just plan for that extra day. Bring one of those meals, put it in your container, pour water over it, like I said earlier, and just go. And then that'll be, oh, cool, I'm at camp. 
tent set up, everything's ready, like plop down, open that canister and it's ready. So that one's just like the super simple thing. Not yeah. trying to overcomplicate night one. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, especially like those those first, you know, that first day or so, like you can kind of get away with packing some things that maybe you're not going to have for like the rest of your trip, but you can definitely just, you know, it'll be fine for six or eight hours or whatever. Yeah. Cheeses and meats are good for that time. For sure. Let's talk about movement because I think this is a little bit different. It just kind of depends on, you know, what you're doing, where you're going. Um, I, I think like I will say like, just along the lines of like everything that we've kind of talked about thus far, like that frame of like, what can we recreate? Just recognizing that we do need to move our body a little bit. Maybe it looks differently. Um, some things that you might want to like buy or bring with you in general, like the, the hands down thing that I always get. And this actually even goes back to nutrition is that people will ask me like, well, do I have to X, Y, Z, you know, and it'll be things like, do I have to track my macros while I'm traveling? And my answer or my question back to them is always something like, you know, well, how do you feel about it? Will it allow you to enjoy your trip more or will it make you more stressed out? And it's the same thing with movement. It's like, you know, if you're going to be gone for a week and you have access to a town, like where we go camping, there's this really great gym. And it's like hands down one of my favorite places to lift at. And I would be literally mad. (laughs) I would be mad if I couldn't go to the gym there. But I also recognize that there are other times where we're going somewhere and I may not necessarily have access to that, but that's not, that's not the norm. Like the norm is that my normal routine is that I lift, you know, four to five times per week. I try to get steps. And so I just focus on, you know, what are the things that I can do while I'm gone that are going to allow me to feel good? And the default hands down is literally just going for a walk, walk, steps, move my body. It might even just be like some stretching and things like that. I mean, I've even gone as far as like when I used to travel, uh, I know this doesn't really relate to camping, but I I would pack some bands with me and things like that just because I didn't really know where I was going or kind of what I would have access to. And sometimes I never even used them. They never even came out of my bag, but they were there if I wanted them. And that was kind of like a comfort. So what do you like to tell people? I mean, a big part of these events, I think for you and for your clients is it's kind of an endurance-based event. So, you know, you are moving your body a lot, but I'm sure there's things that kind of come up, you know, maybe you're not normally hiking that amount and you're not moving your body as much. So how do you like to get around that and kind of manage that? Yeah. So on my movement end, that's more of the recovery-based movement. Um, if this is someone's very first trip and say it's like four days, five days, and they're trying to do 10 to 15 mile days, but their longest hike has only been 10. And then that was once on a weekend, but now this is consecutive. It's, again, planning ahead of time, making sure that like, if one of those days were to lack in distance, that it wouldn't mess up the rest of the trip. Or if there's a way to cut one down from like, say it averages 12 miles per day, but on that last day, you're feeling great. You know, the a couple of those like could have not necessarily like gotten less, but it's a learning experience for the next time. Then you get to see like, oh, well, I felt great on the last day. So therefore day three, I can kind of go a little slower. Um, 
but it's setting that expectation and then taking it down a couple notches and giving yourself that grace that if it doesn't go perfectly, that's totally fine. And, you know, we live in the world of weekend warriors and just being able to only go out on weekends. People who work nine to five jobs have really hard times getting time off. You know, if you want to cram as much as you can in, in those two days, you're on a little different schedule than someone who has the entire week. Yeah. And so it's those expectations are going to be vastly different than someone else who has a longer trip and some more time to spread it out. Yeah, I think that's important considerations because, I mean, if you're under a time crunch, then that is definitely going to determine, you know, what that looks like for you. What yeah, about... It's hard. What about what about lifestyle things? So I feel like, you know, when we, when we go out of our routine in particular, like for me personally, when I'm traveling, my sleep is just crap. Like it's just crap. Um, Caitlin and I actually <clears throat> stayed together in Houston about a month ago now, um, a little bit over a month ago. And we, we shared an Airbnb because we were at like a women's lifting retreat. And like even just, just being there, like it wasn't, it was very quiet Um, It was very comfortable, but it's just like being outside of your routine and recognizing that, you know, there might be some things that could be helpful to you so that you can get like at least a decent night's sleep. Um, I don't go anywhere without earplugs, an eye mask, and some type of sleeping aid. Sometimes I use none of those. Sometimes I use all of them. (laughs) Um, and, And things like that, I think just it kind of just helps to at least maybe the sleep is not, it's not like what it would normally be. And you probably couldn't get along, you know, for weeks and months doing that, but it at least makes you feel like you get a decent amount of sleep. And then you're like mostly ready for the next day. Um, How do you like to set this up and kind of what advice do you give people? Yeah. So I definitely earplugs. Um, And it just depends. I like to have my clients do a little stretching routine and figuring out what works for them, but focusing on legs, shoulders, and feet. Um, Something that I have them bring, like you said, bands. I have them bring a tennis ball because it's light, and then they can roll out their feet if need be. Like, I have pretty bad feet problems and, like, early onset arthritis, and so tennis balls are huge for allowing me to keep hiking. And then on the sleep side, you know, the loudest thing you'll hear is probably a chipmunk, but it'll sound like a bear. (laughs) And... So earplugs are great to not let your mind wander. Um, Eye masks, you know, up here in the north, we up until recently got sunshine until 11 o'clock at night. And I definitely want to be asleep before that. For sure. Um, But then it's regulating temperature, making sure that your sleeping bag is, you know, warm enough or cool enough, depending on time of year you're going. Um, And then a sleeping pad that is comfortable this is where I will kind of give up. Like I will more than happily carry a heavier pack, slightly heavier in return for a better night's sleep. Yeah. And so my, my pad is insulated. It's a blow up pad. It's great. It's still on the lighter side. It rolls up into a, I don't know, six inch by four inches around like tube. And it's great. Um, but yeah, earplugs are a must. I don't, I haven't in the past camped or backpacked with like supplements. Um, 
but even probably just a magnesium supplement. But I know if I need one of those, I'm not drinking or getting enough electrolytes. Yeah. Well, and you kind of um, mentioned the the electrolyte packet, the LMNT before mm-hmm. too. And that does that have mag in it? Yeah, magnesium, yeah. potassium, zinc, and phosphorus. Okay. So it has the four main ones. Um, and that one's really good. They're like Scratch Labs makes some really good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the two that I usually use. I like it's it's said quickly. It's Element, but L M N T. Um, those are great. They're really really salty and they taste like salt and Sometimes they're okay, but sometimes it's a little much. <laughs> the other ones are, they just don't taste as salty, but they still have the same, pretty much the same quantities of magnesium, phosphorus, zinc, gotcha. potassium. What about, yeah. what about like stress? So like, I feel like a lot of these trips are hopefully, hopefully people are going on them as like a stress relief. Um, I don't know about you and I'll be interested to see kind of what your perspective on this is. And and you did kind of allude to this earlier, but I'll be interested to see like what your, what your thoughts are specifically with this is that I'm not necessarily always worried. And this goes for me too. I'm not necessarily always worried about like the trip itself. It's after you come back. It's like when you come back, reality hits, people are calling, emails are blowing up. People are needing things. And a lot of times I feel like people can kind of just go into that fuck it mode. And they're like, I can't get to the gym. I didn't get time to go to the grocery store. I'm just kind of eating whatever. And then it takes them sometimes like weeks to kind of get back on track. And it's almost like, like I had one client before she went on the trip. I remember her saying like something like, man, I'm really, really looking forward to this, but I hope I don't lose it when I come back. And I was like, well, let's just kind of like, let's think about what does it look like when you come back? Like, can you kind of anticipate what's going to happen so that you can better like manage that, whether it be like setting boundaries or just setting timelines for things or communicating better with people as far as like, hey, I just got back. It might be a little while before you hear back from me because otherwise like everyone is going to be wanting something from you. And sometimes it can be really hard to prioritize yourself. What are, what are yeah. your thoughts on this and kind of how do you see this taking taking place? Yeah. And so it kind of goes back to what kind of a trip you're on. Um, if you can, you know, if you're gone for a weekend, food in your fridge is not going to go bad. It's nothing is really going to change in a weekend. So that's when I will say like, cool, you're prepping for a two night trip. Also plan for Monday, Tuesday when you get back. Like just have chicken cooked or prepped or something or whatever foods they want. But keep them in the fridge, pop them in the freezer, make single like single serving dinners that you can just like pop in the microwave from the freezer. Um, That one's easier. So when you're on a longer trip and you're out of office, you can't get any emails or nothing because you're in the backcountry. It's so hard coming back. Um, (laughs) You don't want to come back. (laughs) You don't want to come back. And what I suggest in those times, and kind of for any trip that I try to take, is having one day where you can do nothing. Mm 
And so that next day, like if you're coming home, say you get off trail at noon and it's a three hour drive home, you're still back at three. Try to unpack, do dishes in that time. But then that next day, like don't have work scheduled. Take that day to like cook some meals if you want. Start slow. You know, if you want to sleep in, awesome. If you want to do some laundry, great. But still don't turn on your computer. Yep. You're still out of office. You're still on vacation. If you want to answer, like for us, it would be like, that's a time where I would answer texts from clients. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't look at check-ins. I wouldn't do anything else. But like, I would go through texts to see if anything was pressing. If nothing was, I still wouldn't answer it. But if something emergent was happening, then I would. For sure. Then the next day still have off of work. But then that is your productive day to like, cool, you're going to wake up at your normal time, you're going to eat at your normal times, and you're going to go to bed at your normal times. But food prep should be pretty much like done or taken care of in that day. But you're still like warming back into getting into office again. Yeah. And then that's when you can answer the less pressing texts or like start to look at emails and prioritize for the next day. And then that next day you're back at work and then you're on the same schedule as the day before, but you're actually going through emails and check-ins and things like that. But allowing yourself that time. For sure. I mean, I can personally attest. So in the past, we, we usually always come home on a Saturday night. We have all day Sunday. We, you know, Saturday night, usually get back in the evening from our camping trip. We have all day Sunday. And then, you know, usually Monday we start to kind of roll into our routine. It might look a little bit off, but this, this past summer, like we literally just got back a couple weeks ago and we made this like spur of the moment decision on Friday night to stay all day on Saturday, stay Saturday night and go home on Sunday. And I've done that before. It's been a couple of years but I've done that before and it always ends up in a shit show the following week. So like all week, the week after this happened. So like Sunday, well, it would Monday, Monday of that next week. It was horrible because we had piles of laundry. All of our crap from vacation was still out. And I am somebody, it's like out of sight, out of mind. So being able to like visualize all of the crap that we still needed to put away from the camping trip, it was just, it was driving me insane all week. You know, the house was a mess. Laundry was everywhere. I didn't have food prepped. I literally didn't even go to the grocery store until like Monday. Like we were having bowls of cereal (laughs) for like two nights. And I told Nick, I was like, you know, like we're going to have to rethink this. Like it's so hard because you want to stay like the weather is great. You're enjoying yourself, you know, but then you pay for it when you come back and it's like, well, probably should have thought that through a little bit better. (laughs) Yeah. And if you allow those two days at the end of that trip, and if you decide to like my dad, when he was growing up, his, my grandfather, his dad always made them leave early. Oh, I got to get back to work. I have to get back. So they would always leave early from trips. Whereas when I was growing up, he did the opposite. If we could stay longer, we would. And my parents were never like super duper clean. Like our house was clean, but like if things got untidy, that was totally fine. That's fine. And so that's how I feel. Um, 
but if you allow like plan for those two days and you know you want to stay one more day it's not going to be the end of the world and so you do have that wiggle room there wiggle. yeah yeah the flexibility that next day just has to be a little bit more productive for sure which is fine you have the entire day yeah. Well, and I think just overall, like, especially if you have been gone for a while, like we were gone for a week and you wouldn't think that, you know, that much would change in a week, but like we came back to like our dishwasher was broken. Um, our garage door broke while we were gone and it was like, we were gone Then all these things happen. And it's like, you know, you go on these trips to like de-stress you know, enjoy everything. And then you end up coming back to this craziness. And I think it's like a big part of it is really just like prepping ahead and kind of planning ahead and thinking about like, what's it going to look like? And like, how am I going to like, not be stressed out and anxiety ridden when I get back? Mm -hmm. Because that's the whole point of going on the trip. Yeah. And then you need a vacation from your vacation. Exactly. The only nice thing about the backpacking option is you wear the same thing every day. So there's not much laundry. You eat out of one to two dishes, so there's not many dishes. The biggest thing is just showering, which feels like a huge task when you get back. <laughs> and then you want to do nothing after you shower. <laughs> just because you're like so tired. You're so tired mm-hmm. from it. <laughs> I love it. So I think one thing that I wanted to share at the end of the episode is really, I think, you know, if I kind of reflect back and think about like everything that we've talked about. A big part of it is definitely just having the strategy, planning ahead. But I would say like even an even bigger part of it. Now, this doesn't really go go along the lines of like survival and things like that, like emergency situations. Like I'm talking like more more low key than that. It's really just like having self-trust, like self-trust in yourself, Um, you know, getting more comfortable and confident with decision-making and your rationale for different choices and habits. I find that a lot of times, like when people go on these trips with other people, they feel, they feel funny about talking about food or they feel funny about like, Hey, do you want to go on a walk? I want to go move my body or something like that. You know, like I'm trying to get my steps up or just like the overall like thought or idea about including other people, at least for the for the people who I am camping with or like for the ones who I have gone on trips with, it's like just having that ability to communicate to others, you know, what's important to you. And this could even go along the lines of like drinking. Um, I feel like on some of these trips, at least in my experience, like alcohol is a big part of it. And people will be like, hey, do you want one or do you want another one? Or, you know, when you see other people doing that, like that doesn't necessarily mean that you you have to avoid it all. But you, if you don't feel comfortable doing it or you don't want to, like just having confidence in yourself and saying and communicating it to other people. And I think as a result, that improves your trusting of yourself and that you really know kind of what is best for you. Yeah, I like that a lot. And a lot of that, like, I just take it a step further in trusting yourself. And, you know, a lot of what I talked about today is, a lot of it's trial and error and what I recommend might not work for you and that's okay. You'll figure out your own system. It just might take a little bit more time, but it's the not giving up on yourself just because you like something doesn't work and sticking with it because it's going to pay off and it's going to be one of the coolest things that you see that like, Oh, my body can do this now. 
and now I have the right equipment and now I know what I'm talking about when I go out in these places and you know like I feel pretty confident that I don't need my boyfriend to do this anymore and sure I want to share it with him but I am fully capable of doing it myself or with another group of women and for sure it's just so empowering to add that extra level of like I'm out in the wilderness alone or with other like-minded people. And I didn't have to be like dragged out here, told what to do. And it's just so neat. Exactly. I have a little personal anecdote that I can share. So when I was first getting into bow hunting, I went to like an archery shop uh, back in Illinois and I was looking for a release for my bow. And if you don't know what a release is, it's like a little like a little bracelet, essentially. I mean, bracelet's like a very <laughs> loose term, but it's like a little Velcro um, piece of fabric that wraps around your wrist and then it has like a metal attachment and that's what you hook onto your string in order to pull your bow back. So I needed a new release because the one that I had had broken. And <clears throat> so my husband, or it would be my boyfriend at the time, sent me into this archery shop and he's like, you know, here's some ideas for what you might like, but like ultimately pick whichever one you feel like is going to work best for you or you like the best or feels the best. And so <clears throat> I went in there and um, I like literally just couldn't find them. I couldn't find them in the store. So I ended up asking one of the employees and it was this guy who was working in archery. And I was like, Hey, where are your releases? And he's like, Oh, they're over here. <clears throat> and he shows me the way. And he's like, uh, which one did you need? He's like, uh, you need it for your boyfriend. And I was like, no, <laughs> I need it for myself. And I'm like, I'm good, thanks. And, and he walked away. And I remember thinking like, hmm, showed you. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it's like that real thing with Ron Swanson. Like, do you need any help? I know more than you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Because that's how I, I mean, when I go into REI, granted, they are some of the nicest people, but every once in a while you get just some older guy. And they're like, oh, sweetie, what can I help you with? It's like, I'm fine. Thanks. <laughs> like, And then I go find a woman employee to help me. And it's yeah. like, I just, it's the belittling that is the entire reason why I'm doing what I do. It drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah. It drives me crazy. And too. it's just so unnecessary. Um, but yeah, no, this is, this is why I want to do this to make sure that people know that the outdoors are not scary animals are not out to kill you and neither are people out in the outdoors at least I love it so much so you guys I hopefully hopefully this episode brought some new value to you or maybe just some different perspectives you know help you to understand that you know when you're out of your routine it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to throw everything away and it's just figuring out you know what's going to work best for you based upon your goals and kind of the purpose of your trip Hopefully the frame that we use as far as like recreating your routines and things that you might have to adjust or things that you might need to buy in order to have with you and just ways to modify your, your day to day to help you enjoy your experience, but also prioritize, you know, yourself as well. Caitlin, where can listeners find you at? So right now, just my Instagram, um, caitlin.j.coaching and then soon I'm thinking next two weeks. Um, All right, it's out there. My podcast should be, I know, I, it, it has to happen now. Now that I have all the equipment, um, my podcast will be launching soon, um, the Outdoor Fit Podcast, where I will be talking about 
a lot more expansion on just combining the outdoors with fitness and nutrition, um, all along the lines of skiing, backpacking, you know, probably a little hunting since I'm getting into at least clients who are hunting. Um, but (laughs) I love that so much. If anyone needs anyone to like pack out meat, happy to do it. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about killing animals, but I'm all for other people doing it for me, (laughs) especially in a conservation way. Um, well, yeah, that's where they can find me. And yeah. And I was going to say, and hopefully maybe some like uh, fisher woman um, clients coming your way too. Yeah. I love it. Well, you guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it brought a ton of value to you and that it helps you to be able to get a little farther ahead. All right. That's the end. (laughs) Awesome. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Danny Abel podcast. If you're enjoying the show and you haven't already, consider subscribing and leaving me a five-star review. If you love the episode, screenshot it, share it to your story, and tag me. And lastly, if you have any questions, send me a DM and I'll see if I can help. Thanks again for listening. Take care.